Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Top 5 at 5. Excited to bring you Bruce Campbell today. He's President and Portfolio Manager at Stone Castle Investment Management. And we're going to have a bit of a different take today. We're going to actually focus on some small cap names. That is uh, Bruce's specialty and, and area of focus. Um, and names you might not have heard of. So they often have very interesting stories behind them and uh, sometimes can have great returns, but there often is a lot more risk or volatility. And that's why a lot of people do invest in small cap companies actually do use a money manager who really focuses in on that. So Bruce, welcome. Thank you so much. And, uh, and we're going to run through five names in, in 20 minutes. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me on. Great. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about one of your, well, maybe, you know what, let's, because there's just been so much volatility, um, why don't we get your take in terms of the overall markets first? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's been, that's been the theme of the year for sure, or at least so far this year is, the, is really that volatility. There's a lot of cross currents that we see, you know, beyond, um, you know, the, the obvious, which is the Russian-Ukraine situation. You know, we take a look at the Fed, we're concerned about what could potentially happen there. It looks to us like they might be setting themselves up to be um, tightening just as the economy starts to slow, which of course the market wouldn't like at all. Uh, it would be very similar to what we saw in October, 2018. And, um, you know, how long they let that go before they would reverse course, that would be, you know, that would be the challenge. So that's, that's what sort of our major concern is right now. You know, um, the, the, the headlines that everyone looks at inflation, you know, that's obviously front and center and, and it's on the investment minds of, of everyone that's in the markets. And so, you know, we're trying to navigate through that. Interestingly though, you know, one of the things that we saw is that this correction in small cap really started a year ago. So I think you could pretty much put your finger on February 16th, 2021 as the day that, you know, most of the small cap market and you know a lot of the sort of riskier stocks in the market topped out and since then we've seen you know quite a dramatic sell-off there's been pockets of areas that have you know continued to do well but for the most part we haven't really seen a lot of strength that looks like it could potentially be changing we're just at the very start of that and we've started to see that in a few um, individual names and some of the kind of forward-leading technical tools that we use so it, um, it could be very interesting. You could have seen this correction in the small cap and then, you know, the small caps lead as, you know, the larger caps um, start to maybe go sideways or, or drop a bit. Hmm. Um, you, you, you think that we might actually see small cap companies lead the market here? Well, it would depend on a little bit on kind of what we saw from an economic standpoint, right? In, uh, mm. you know, if we were to see... Um, you know, cause the market's always forward looking. So if we were to see the economic numbers starting to change so that either the fed would back down on the number of rate 
increases that they were looking at. And right now I think their projection is around six is that what most people are expecting they're going to be doing. You know, if that maybe came down because the economy was slowing, well, the market starts to look past that and looks to, okay, when, when are we going to start to see acceleration? And that's where small caps can do, you know, quite well. If you go back to, you know, sort of the COVID bottom, um, we really started to see the small caps lead out of that March bottom in mm-hmm. 2020. Okay. Um, let's, uh, you know what we should have, I wonder though, why, why did we start to see small caps correct a year ago? What drove that? Well, I think it probably a, a part of it is, um, you know, looking at kind of economic strength was, was one, you know, because we have, you know, we've seen, we see, have seen economic strength there, but the comparable numbers from the year before when things were so weak, um, became difficult for them to, to compete with. Right. And then you also saw, you know, you started to see some factors, you started to see the inflation in there. You started to see, um, hints of, of interest rate increases. And so I think it's a combination of a few different things. Plus, you know, at the same time, we had seen such a big run up that people were looking for stability and they were looking for, um, you know, having liquidity in their portfolios. And so they just start moving out of, out of the smaller smaller cap stuff and into bigger stuff because they know if they own that bigger stuff and the market starts to get volatile, they can get out a lot easier and a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Fair point. Um, we've obviously seen uh, WTI push through $100. Um, and one of the names you bring us today is Avanti Energy. Um, AVN is the ticker there. W- what's the story about Avanti? A, a yeah, name so- I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so they're not actually in um, in oil and gas per se. I mean, that'll be a byproduct of what they're looking for. But what they're really looking for is helium. And um, if you kind of followed what's happening with helium in the last few years is there was a fairly strategic reserve of helium down in the US and um, that's been depleted and or sold off. And now um, a lot of helium production comes from other areas that aren't as politically stable, Russia being one of them, interestingly enough. Um, and so what Avante has done is it's a team of, uh, of, of people that used to work directly in oil and gas. The technology is the same. The exploration is the same. Um, in a lot of cases, the helium is in the ground next to the natural gas and to the oil. And so what they did is they went out, they just, they secured some land and now they've drilled two wells. Um, so far they've drilled the first two wells. The first one, um, sounds like it'll be economic, but it's not going to be, you know, crazy as far as production. The second one, it sounds like they're really excited from talking with management and they think that Mm -hmm. that could be, you know, significant helium's used in a number of different applications, especially. That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So. You know, if you look at a lot of manufacturing, they use helium. If you look at something like an MRI machine, they use helium to cool down the machine. It's used for a lot of other things than just, you know, the balloons that everybody thinks of from parties. Mm-hmm. And uh, the price just keeps going up because of the strategic reserve in the U.S. has been depleted. And so now the payback on these wells, they're not, in a lot of cases, these helium wells aren't the crazy you know, horizontal fracked, multi-fracked zone wells that they use in the oil and gas business. They're strictly straight down. They'll drill into the zone, they'll find the helium. And then it's a function of getting the proper amount of helium for the pressure and being able to uh, remove it 
uh, economically because there's not, you know, when you're drilling these helium wells, you know, 1%, 2% helium from what's coming up out of the well is what they consider to be um, economic. Hmm. And who do they compete with? Like who are the big players? Yeah. So right now it's pretty fragmented, uh, especially in North America. And so what you've seen is you've seen some, some, some other smaller companies that have just started up as well. And then, you know, there would be some bigger companies that have, um, that have divisions. They wouldn't necessarily be standalone companies. They would have divisions. And then the U S government's been big into it, but they're, um, they, they've, they've, um, moved their, themselves out of that market. Hmm. And, um, what, what's the growth of, of this industry though? I'm, I'm still trying to understand, you know, the true end demand. Yeah. So just from a, from a, uh, use standpoint, the use continues to go up. So if you were, you know, we don't have it here, but if we were to have, look at a chart of use of helium over the last, you know, couple of decades, it continues to go up because it's used in a lot of manufacturing for high tech and um, computer equipment. And then it's used in some of that same computer equipment as a cooling um, uh, cooling device for, for a lot of that. So the demand keeps going up and it will continue to go up at the same time. You know, helium stayed pretty stable as far as the pricing goes because the supply was pretty normalized. And then the strategic reserve in the U.S. started to be diminished. And at the same time, you know, you saw some other um, unstable politically countries uh, that were in helium, you know, start to have flare ups. And the next thing you know, the price starts to rise. Mm. Um, interestingly, like if you look at helium, where it typically is found is it's found around uranium. So it's a byproduct of, you know, kind of what's going on underneath the surface. And so, you know, if you think about the Saskatchewan, Alberta corridor there, there's, there's a fairly big uranium corridor. And, mm. and the thought is, is that, you know, there'll be a fair bit of helium. So there's a number of different companies that are drilling there, including Avante. Mm. And, and then that also goes down into, uh, into the U S and how has the stock been performing? Um, what do you look at in terms of valuation? And so we can get a gauge in terms of um, what the performance could be. Well, it hasn't performed as well as we would have liked so far. And that's just been a function of delay getting drilled, right? So they had to get, um, had to get everything in place. They secured their property. They had to get everything in place. And, you know, much like everything, it takes a lot longer than you expect. They've drilled their first two wells. Um, they had, you know, great success with this, especially with the second one, they haven't completed, done all the completions on it yet, but just from their initial results, they're quite happy with what they see. Um, and then they just recently raised some money, which, which took the stock down a bit when they announced the financing, cause it was done, you know, a lot of these small caps done at a discount with a warrant attached. And there's always a bit of arbitrage that happens with, you know, some of the funds that are out there and some other investors where, you know, they'll buy the unit, sell the stock to yeah. capture the warrant. So there's a bit of that that's going on right now. I suspect that that probably stays in place until they, till that settle that, um, that issue settles. And then mm -hmm. probably around the same time, we're going to get the completion results from the second well, they raise this money to do more, to drill more because they were so excited about what they see. So stocks, um, we've done relatively well because we were in really early, but it's off its high by, you know, a fair bit. Um, but we think that there's lots of potential there. If you look at okay. kind of the cash flow generation, the payback on these wells, you know, they're, they're not super expensive to drill. They're not, you know, the $10 million wells that you see in the oil and gas business. They're, you know, a couple million. Um, but the payback is, can be sort of nine to 12 months 
um, once they get that done. So that's kind of what we're expecting. And this will end up, you know, we think it'll end up being, you know, a real cash flow generating um, vehicle here in probably nice. you know, 12 to 18 months time. Okay. Uh, so again, um, that's Avanti Energy, AVN is the ticker there. Um, let's take a look at what I think is a consumer oriented company, Just Kitchen. Uh, JK, what, what's the company about and why do you like it? Yeah. So if you look at the trend and this started even pre-COVID was that I think the stat is that the average American family orders in food twice a week and that's even higher in Asia. And so, hmm. you know, if you think about how most of that's done right now, you, you know, you go on Uber, you go on, you know, the, maybe the company's website themselves, you order the food and it's made in their restaurant where there's customers sitting and also being served food. What, what the trend has been both in the U S and now in Asia is to have uh, commercial kitchens that only produce the food for takeout. And so you can have a commercial kitchen that does multiple brands side by side. And you as the consumer would just go on their app and order, and you could pick, you know, one type of food from one restaurant and another food from a different restaurant brand, and they'd be made in the same kitchen and delivered out to you. And hmm. this is the whole ghost kitchen phenomena. If you look in the US, there's, there's several of them. Um, so Just Kitchen is in Asia. They've specifically focused on, uh, on, on, on uh, Asian countries and they have multiple Asian brands. And what they're doing is they're, they're effectively building out their hub and spoke model. So the hub is a kitchen where it's a bigger kitchen where the majority of the food is prepared. It might be partially cooked and then it goes out to the spoke and the spoke is where the final uh, assembly and final cooking is done before it's sent out for delivery. And they've got, they've got some pretty big brands. They just signed, um, 7-Eleven in Taiwan. And, um, yeah, if you you sort of think of Taiwan or sort of 7-Eleven and you think about the food that they have in North America, but in Asia, they even have more food options and more people order food from 7-Eleven. So they're going to be doing, um, the cooking for, for 7-Eleven if you look at uh, you know some of the brands that they have, they have a few North American brands, but they have some fairly big um, Asian brands. They're not brands that are familiar to me, but they're they're certainly brands that are big over there. Uh, hmm. If you look at the numbers of the company, they they're really in growth mode. So you know they are spending money right now to build everything up, but they have 21 uh, of their spokes now, and they're. Um, and they continue to raise both the average price of what they're selling and then the number of, uh, of orders that they're fulfilling. So they just reported their numbers. They had great revenue growth. They're not seeing anything from the bottom line yet because they're spending so much money to continue to expand. But it's one that, you know, I suspect they're, you know, they'll continue to grow through this year. And, and then at some point in time, they'll probably end up being a take, takeover target. We don't, we don't invest in them just purely for a takeout target. We think that they're mm -hmm. going to be, you know, profitable on their own, but we think that there's, you know, high likelihood that that's, that's where this ends up going as somebody takes a look and says, oh yeah, let's get an entry into Japan or into Asia. And they just come in and pick them off. Interesting. But what kind of company it, it's interesting though, because they do really depend. It sounds like on, um, on brands wanting to use them. Correct. Uh, they would for, for, uh, for some, some of it, they've also built some of their own in-house brands as well, which, uh, which they've done. But, you know, if you think about, 
you know, say you're McDonald's or Burger King and you want an entry into, you know, strictly delivery food and, you know, you find that it's more efficient then you could do a deal with them. You'd still have all your existing restaurants, but you would just, you know, do a deal with them so that now mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're selling your product through their, uh, through their store or through mm -hmm. their kitchens. Interesting. Um, let's take a look at another one. Uh, Verano Holdings, uh, VRNO is the ticker there. Yeah. So this is in the U.S. Um, cannabis sector, and we think that there's tremendous opportunity here. Um, it's really a function of of time before something happens. You know, every, everyone kind of looks at the Canadian market, and it's been very challenging. There's probably been lots of missteps if you look at what's happened mm -hmm. in the U.S. It's a lot different. You know, in most of the states, especially in the eastern side of the U.S., they're limited license states, meaning that the government has, the state government is, has, has limited the number of entries that can be in that specific market. And they usually have a formula for how they increase that. So the number of patients, the number of sales, and then that's when they start bumping it up. Verano is, um, in the U.S., they're in I believe it's 15 different states right now, if I remember correctly. Wow. And um, a lot of those are limited license states. Now, the interesting thing with Verano is they went public last year, almost a year ago now. It was a year ago, February. And at that point in time, that was kind of the top for the cannabis market as well, both Canada and the US. And they didn't really get the valuation that you would have expected to be on par with their peers. And there was a couple mm. of reasons for that. One was that they were just going public. The second was, is that, you know, with a lot of these RTO transactions that we saw in the cannabis sector, the principals had tons of stock that was um, escrowed or locked up for a certain period of time. And investors are always concerned coming into those lockup periods, you know, are the, are the executives going to be selling shares? We're now through that whole period and uh, they never really did get the valuations. So they traded about half the valuation of their peers, and yet they're growing at the same rate or faster. They're profitable, which is something you don't see that often in Canada. Yeah. And the revenue continues to ramp up. So they've been growing their revenue. You know, it could, depends on quarter by quarter and kind of what they're adding and what they're not. But you know, you sort of see twenty-five to fifty percent revenue growth, and you're seeing EBITDA growth in kind of the you know twenty to forty percent range. Um, as they add new states and come online with um, with different programs there, and the kind of beyond beyond just the the business growing itself, there's a couple of catalysts that could happen. Mm -hmm. You know, one is that over the last year we saw a number of the U.S. custodians step away from cannabis, where they said, "Look, we're not going to allow you to hold cannabis stocks anymore. It's federally illegal, and even though it's maybe state legal." we're not going to do it until they're listed on bigger us exchanges because most of these cannabis companies right now are only listed on the cse in canada and so you there's there's been multiple attempts to pass what's called the safe act which is the banking act for cannabis in the us if that was to get through then at that point in time it should allow for these companies to list on us exchanges even though it still may not be federally legal in the us nationwide mm -hmm. It would allow them to list and then you would see institutional investors in in multiple areas be able to come back in and then the other thing that would be you know kind of the lottery ticket is the federal legalization and you know 
I don't think that's a function of it happening. It's just a function of when it happens. So it might be, yeah. you know, two months, two years, you know, 10 years away. I don't think it'll be 10. I think it'll be less than five. I think it ha probably happens before the next presidential election, which will be, you know, what, two and a half years away. Um, so I think that's when it happens, but that would be, you know, huge uh, for the companies in, in the sector, mm -hmm. general, obviously being one of them. Very cool. Um, a name to, to be aware of. Um, you've got two in the healthcare space. Uh, we've got just a couple minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about them. Salona Global Medical Devices. So SGMD. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting company led by a gentleman by the name of Les Cross. And Les managed a company called DJ Global. And if you look at what he did there, he raised about $150 million in total to start this company. It was a small um, equipment manufacturer and equipment seller, and they sold it out to private equity for around a billion and a half. So a 10 bagger over about a five-year timeframe, took a mm. few years off, and now he's come back to do it all over again. What their specialty is, is non-surgical medical devices. So this is not something that's used in an operating room, but it's something that's used after the fact in a doctor's office for rehabilitation. They started off by buying, they went public a year, uh, not quite a year ago, a year ago, last June is when they went public. Um, they started by buying a manufacturing. So they're able to manufacture all their products. And then they mm. bought um, a medical device product company. Uh, they've got multiple other acquisitions lined up. They've made some acquisitions of sales companies. And so what they told us when they went public is that they would do, I think they said that they would do three or four acquisitions before the end of 2021, and that they'd be a run rate of around 40 million revenue. Well, they didn't get all those acquisitions done just because, you know, that's what happens in business. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get the deals done. And one of their instances, they were, you know, kind of at the, at the altar with, um, with a, with a company and the principal got COVID. And so, you know, that sort of delayed everything yeah. it just means they just get pushed off. They've had strong organic growth because what they do is they cross sell between the companies that they bought and, you know, the, the existing companies, they're able to manufacture, so they have good margins and they have huge room for expansion. Lass has seen a number of different people that he had who worked with him at DJ global all coming over to join. So they're just going to do mm. it all over again. Uh, it's just a function of time. Interesting. What, what's an example of one of their products? Uh, so, you know, they have, um, you know, certainly in the past, they've had, you know, different uh, physio products that help, you know, with, um, with uh, enhancements of, of uh, exercise and, you know, so different stability tools, they've got, you know, different okay. types of needle devices, you know, things like that. Okay. Um, and let's take a look at your last pick here. Neurocene Health. Yeah. M-E-N-D is the ticker. Yeah. So, you know, there's been, especially with COVID, there's been so much focus on physical health. You know, everyone has discovered how much physical health has to do with, you know, your well-being. Well, mental health is also something that's been super impaired. And so what Neurocene does is they have kind of two different divisions. They got one division that has an AI uh, technology platform that's working with drug companies and what it allows them to do is to to use their artificial intelligence to look at compounds and how those compounds could work in trials and what different indications they might work for and so they've already started to sign deals where if the drug companies use their technology and hit certain milestones they get paid and then they would hmm. get paid a royalty on successful drugs in the market and then the second half of their um their businesses 
is uh, really um, an app-driven product for for mental health. And it's quite interesting because they've had numerous different versions of it. They just rolled out kind of the Cadillac version and it happened today, interestingly mm. enough. And it, um, it takes you through basically a baseline of, okay, here's where, where I am from a mental standpoint. Now, what do I do to get my mental Interesting. higher? And so you basically are on this app every day using it. And it's not, you know, I've gone through some of it and it's not stuff that you go, oh man, this is really difficult. It's, it's quite easy. It's quite simple. And you'll end up with stronger mental health scores mm. from a memory standpoint, from a focus standpoint, um, from a creativity standpoint. Wow. They've got a model for that. So they have a consumer model, but they also have um, a business model as well. So they'll go out to, you know, a big company and sell this app to the company for all of their employees right? and, and mental health, you know, we probably all have been mentally um, handicapped here through. Absolutely. So it'll be <laughs> Absolutely. Going forward. Wow. And so what's the name of the app? Is it Neuroscene? It is. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm an Apple user and I just went on the app store and, you know, typed in Neuroscene and it came up immediately and it's called the Neuro mm. app. So. Okay. It, you know, it's amazing, the, all these apps. I actually, I mean, people might think, why would I do it? But, you know, you always have, you know, five extra pounds. Well, not always. I did. And I use the Noom app. You know, I don't know if you're familiar. You're probably not familiar with it. So. I, know what, I, I know what it is. I do you know it? it? I know what it it's is. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Because it's all psychology in terms of, you know, controlling, not controlling, but like, you know, um, understanding what you eat, what your triggers are, why you eat it. And, you know, I'm down seven. It's, it's unbelievable that these apps are out there and that they really know how to use the psych, psyche and the psychology behind all of this. So it's, it's amazing. And people probably really do need it because we haven't been out for two years, really. That's right. Yeah. So. Yeah, we, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris, this was amazing. Thank you so much um, for your time today. And, um, and it's great to, you know, to really be able to understand the story. So I appreciate you putting the time behind that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.